Good morning, friends. It is a good, good day. Do you know why? Because <laughs> you got a new shirt to look at for the next year. Congratulations to you. <laughs> no, that's not why. Uh, if you're new, um, you'll get it next week. Uh, no, I'm serious. Um, it is a good day because we are back in the Gospel of Luke. So we took a pause from our study in the historical Gospel of Luke of all that Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, and we paused for Advent. And, and last week, we kicked off the new year. Solomon preached last week and did a fantastic job. So thankful for Solomon. And if you missed that message, I would actually encourage you to go grab it this week, listen to it. There's very practical insights of how we remember God's faithfulness for the journey ahead. And so grab that message from last week with Solomon. But we're back in the Gospel of Luke, and we get our title, Good News for All People, right from the Gospel. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 was the announcement of Jesus's arrival on the scene, and this is what the angels had said. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's what we just celebrated at Christmas. The arrival of Jesus the Christ, the promised Messiah, who is good news for all people. And then we're going to continue to look at how he lived and what he taught and how he revealed God to us. What is this good news? We've been unpacking it. And one of the things that Jesus is on mission for that we're gonna be looking at today is that Jesus is on mission to seek and save the lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, kind of has this mission statement of the son of man, that's Jesus, came for this purpose. Why did he come? Why is it good news? He, Son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus is here. And in our section today, it's all about being lost. And so if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 15. In fact, you're gonna need a Bible because we're gonna do the whole chapter in one week. And so there's a Bible in front of you, grab it. Luke chapter 15, maybe you have on your phone, open up Luke 15. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone yet, get one, maybe this morning, go to your app store, grab the ESV app by Crossway, download that, and let's go to Luke chapter 15, where he's gonna talk about being lost. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever lost something? What's the most valuable thing you lost? Maybe it was your wedding rings, maybe a pair of earrings that a loved one had given you, some jewelry. Perhaps you lost a pet and you ran around the, the streets putting up missing signs of this is my lost cat, this is my lost dog. If you see him, if you see her, call immediately. There is a reward for you. Maybe, maybe you lost, oh, this would break my heart. Maybe you lost your phone and you like freaked out. <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago, I was in the mountains and it was at night and I just lost my phone. I could not find it. And so I'm, I'm looking in the couch, holding my phone with the flashlight on, 
And Kristen says, what are you looking for? I said, I lost my phone. She said, you're holding it. Yeah, I am. I think when I think of the thing that I, that I lost that caused the most anxiety, who, who in this room has lost one of their kids? It's the worst. Oh man, the anxiety that rushes through your heart is unbelievable. One time, Chris and I were on the beach. I didn't tell her, can I share this story? She, she, she can't say no now. She's not gonna disappoint you guys. So we're on the beach and we, we have four kids. Matthew is our third. And so he's probably 18 months old. We have all four kids on the beach. Like this is, this is what like rookie parents do. But man, we're, we're, we're parents of four and somehow we lose sight of Matthew on the beach. And this is a beach that is completely empty, about a half mile long, and we don't see him anywhere. Yeah, what are you thinking? I'm thinking he's probably dead. Like seriously, he's, he's probably, a wave has washed him away. He's 18 months old. And so we start looking around and we start screaming for him, Matthew, Matthew, and still nothing. We're like looking in the bushes where we were playing. We look back by the, the, the showers where we were playing in the, in the water and nothing. And I remember that we had taken him to a cove that was on the west side of the beach, a little bay where we were collecting shells. And so I start sprinting on the sand. You ever run on sand? It's really hard. And I don't work out because I wanna conserve all my energy for moments like this. And so I am like sprinting down the beach and I finally get to the cove and I come around this cove and just turn the corner and there he is just picking up sand shells. And I just collapse. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's not dead. He's alive. This is awesome. See, when you, when you lose something and then you find something, there's like this rush of celebration. And there's something about the heart of God that Jesus wants these religious people to understand about a heart of God that seeks and saves the lost. That's why Jesus came, to seek and save the lost, his lost children. So Luke 15 opens up with a bunch of religious people. These are people that go to church all the time. These are the people that look like their life is all put together. These are religious people that all do the right thing. And they're, they're upset. They're upset that Jesus is hanging out with people whose lives are a mess, who seem to always do the wrong thing. And so Luke 15 says, now the tax collectors and sinners, like these are the outcasts of society. Who is it in your life that just bothers you? Is it some people, like maybe a political group of people? Maybe it's people in a certain agenda. Maybe it's people in the school system. Maybe it's people in your community. Like who just bothers you? That's the tax collectors and sinners. And they're bothered that Jesus is hanging out with them. And so he says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Like they're complaining. You have a grumbler in your family? Man, you don't wanna be around a grumbler. They're grumbling saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Now, what, that, what that's an accusation of is when you eat with someone, you're accepting them, you're welcoming them. You almost might be said to be affirming them. And so here he is eating and drinking with the sinners. And so he told them this parable. Jesus is gonna tell three parables, three stories. Now, never lose sight of who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the religious people who have their lives all put together and all do the right thing. And all of these parables are 
an object lesson for them. So don't lose sight of who he's talking to. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. So the first parable he tells this religious group is about a sheep that is lost as the sheep has wandered away from home. And he says, you see, God is like this shepherd who goes and seeks out the one who wandered away and became lost, saves them, and then brings them back and celebrates their return. Then he tells this parable. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so he tells the first story of, of a sheep who leaves the house and is lost. And now he tells another story of a coin, maybe a greater value. It's one out of 10 coins, not one out of 100. So the value has gone up and this person is looking for a coin that's been lost in their house. And what Jesus says is, okay, there's those who are lost who wander away and there are those who are lost in the house and God is a seeking, saving, celebrating God. And that's the heart that I have. And then he tells this third parable, maybe the parable you're most familiar with. And this is like the punch in the face. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said, to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me my inheritance. And he divided property between them, his two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So the first son is lost as he wanders away from the house. In fact, the this, this son hates the father. He's asking for inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? When your parents die. So what the younger son is saying is dead. You're dead to me. I don't love you. I don't want to be around you. Will you just give me your stuff? Like the reason I, I even do anything around here is so that you would give me an inheritance. Will you just, just cut the, to the chase? And just give me what's coming when you die? Because you're dead to me already. In fact, I'm going to leave and never think about you again. And this is probably what's in our mind when we think of those who are lost, those who have wandered away and they take all the resources God has given them, all of their talents and their treasures, and they just spend it on reckless living. I mean, this is 
This is the quintessential, I have resources and I'm gonna buy fast cars and I'm gonna hang out with, with fast women and I'm gonna do all these crazy things with friends that are like leeches on me and I'm gonna spend my money on them and then they're gonna leave me destitute and in my need, no one's gonna be there for me. Like this kind of lost son is obvious. They're the ones you find in rehab centers. And you know, when I, when I teach in rehab centers or when I teach on college campuses, or in high schools, I often highlight this younger son because many in the world are like this younger son. I was like the younger son, wandering away from home until you get to rock bottom and it says here, but when he came to himself, he comes to his senses. Like, what am I doing here? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. I remember being in this apartment when I was in high school with these older, older guys and college guys and drugs and alcohol being passed around the room. And I'm like, what am I doing here? If I stay here, I'm going to die. I want to leave this place. When he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. That word perish is the same Greek word translated above lost. To be lost is to be perishing. If you're lost, you're dying. If you're found, you're living. And so he says, here I am. I'm perishing here. I'm lost here in my hunger. This is what I'll do. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is a humble posture of repentance, is it not? That's what repentance is. Repentance is simply stopping the direction of life that you're living and turning, returning to the Lord, walking towards God. And so here he is in a humble posture. I'm gonna go back to my father. I'm gonna repent. Verse 20, and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, I just love this, catch these things. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Do you think that's the response the younger son is expecting from his dad? That's who our God is. Maybe you are one of, one of these younger sons who have been away from the faith for a long time. And maybe this is like your first Sunday back or first Sunday back in a long time. And it's like this I don't even know the songs. I don't know anyone in this room. I feel a bit lost here. And you're not sure how you'd be received if you told people you went to church. I wanna tell you, this church wants to receive you like God wants to receive you. He sees you, has compassion on you, is eager to run to you, embrace you, and kiss you. That's who our God is. And so if you have been a lost daughter of God and are coming back to church, know that's, the father that greets you. Just imagine that. I mean, we have people in our life who have burned us, don't we? Who've maybe stolen from us, who, who have mistreated us. And when you see them, what is your attitude towards them? Like, just think what happened at Christmas, maybe with some family members. You're like, oh, Thomas is here again. Like he came back. What does he want now? And we might think that's how God's gonna receive us, but it's not. Just as this is like the father in heaven. 
who sees you. He's been seeking you. He, he knows you're coming. And he doesn't wait for you to arrive to him. He rushes to you. And with embrace and compassion, he receives you. Verse 21, and the son said to him, here's his rehearsed line. This is his repentance. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, right? If I could just be a servant in your house, that's all I want. His father doesn't even, even, even recognize that statement. It says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. He, he takes off his old raggedy clothes. He washes him, redresses him and celebrates his return. That's the heart of the father. Well, this is called the prodigal son. That's probably how you know this parable. And that's often the, the highlight of the parable is the younger son's return. And for good reason. But the father has a second son. And, the, and I think this would be a better parable to be labeled the lost sons. So you got the lost sheep, got the lost coin, and then it says prodigal son. It should just say the lost sons. Because there's another son in this story who's also lost. And he's lost in the house. And the most dangerous kind of being lost is when you don't know you're lost. And so verse 26, now his older brother was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of his servants and asked him, what these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, you remember the father's response to the return of his younger son who was lost because he left. What do you think the older brother's response is? You got siblings. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. I think it's probably the greatest celebration the father has ever thrown. And here's this older son, angry, and will not enter into his father's joy. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out to him. So now his father's seeking him. His father came out to him and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. Like this is the right response. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Remember, these, these parables were given to teach who? The Pharisees, the religious people that probably did all the right things. 
had their life put together and were grumbling that Jesus was welcoming sinners and tax collectors. And we get to this last parable and who's grumbling is the older brother. The point of the second parable is to address the Pharisees who are the older brothers who are lost in the house. The father has two sons and they're both lost. One is lost by rejecting all the father's rules. The second is lost by trying to keep all the father's rules. Neither one loves the father. The older brother uses the father simply as a means to an end. I want your stuff. I'm gonna show you there are symptoms of the older brother that could be symptoms in this room. And the reason I wanna spend a little bit more time with the older brother than the younger brother is, well, the younger brother's in the rehab center probably. Do you know where the older brother is today? He's at church. Yeah, he goes to church. He never misses. And so you might be like the older brother. And I wanna save you from being lost in the father's house. And so one of the symptoms of the older brother is first the symptom of, of duty, not delight. His faith, his relationship with the father is all duty. You just see it there in verse 29. He says, I have served you all my life. See, the younger brother is coming back in this humility. He says, if I could just be a servant in your house. Older brother's like, all I've been is a servant in your house. Like, I know the rules and I've been keeping them. And so it's a duty. There's no delight. Like, I, don't, I don't draw near to church. I don't go to church on Sunday because like, I can't wait to be there with my brothers and sisters and celebrate and think about the work of Jesus Christ in my life and the generosity of God in my life and how kind he is and compassionate he is and to think about the glory that's coming. I just can't wait to delight with him. You don't open your scriptures in the morning and say, oh, I just want to delight in here. What has the father revealed about himself? Now, this is a duty, devotions. Sunday morning, duty. It's what good Christians do. I do it out of duty. And there's little delight, which leads to this other symptom is that we do good so that we get good. The reason we do all these right things is almost like put God in our debt. Because I've done all these things for you. I've done all these good things, and so now I expect good things from you. And in fact, this is when older brothers get the most frustrated, is when people who aren't doing all the right things seem to have easier lives than them. Like, why, God, would you let them have such a good vacation? Why would you let them have such good kids? Why would you give them such good health? I'm here doing all my duties and you're not doing anything for me. And so the reason an older brother does all the right things is so that God will give him all the good things. And he's angry when it doesn't happen. He's angry about it. You see here, he says, you know, you never let me slaughter a goat, a calf for my friends. 
Now, now think of it this way. He, the father has slaughtered this goat and he's feeding his, his guests with this goat. And what does the older brother want? I want a goat, but not to enjoy with you. Not with you, the father. I want a goat from you to hang out with my friends. Why? Because there's no, there's no joy and delight in the father. You see, the older son is just like the younger son. He's using the father as a means to an end. The father isn't the means of the end. He's not the object of his affection. And the reason he's upset is because the father has been so kind to his younger brother with his things. Remember, he says, what, what, the father says, what are you upset about? All that is mine is yours. And the older brother's like, yeah, that's the point. The younger brother already got his inheritance. Everything here is supposed to come to me. And now whose inheritance is he spending on the younger brother? Mine. It's costing me for you to love him. And so the older brother's faith is duty, not delight. I do good to get good. And you're not giving me good. You're giving all these sinners and tax collectors good. The third symptom is the sense of superiority to sinners. You see it in the older brother. He won't even call him his brother. He says, your son, right? I think he's actually elevating himself over the father. He's not even my brother. I'm better than him. It's your son. Look what you're doing. You're messing this up. He speaks to his father as someone who thinks of themselves as more superior than him. And so older brother syndrome in faith is always to think of yourself as superior to others. It's like we, we forget amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch, baby, I'm a wretch, a wretch like me. once was lost. I was lost. Oh, but now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. The reason those words aren't on his lips is he doesn't know he's lost. And so this parable is about two lost sons. A son who's lost, leaving the house, breaking all the rules. And a son who's lost in the house, trying to keep them all. And neither one loves the father. And both sons need to learn that they are found by grace alone, by grace alone. It is the father's grace and mercy and compassion that saves alone. And all those who love the father, who love the son and receive him will be saved, will be saved. And so there's three, I think three things that I would give for older brothers in this room. Is there's three things that you kind of need to know from these parables to break it, to break being lost, just having eyes to see your need. The first one is to know who God is. And this is what Jesus has been unpacking for the Pharisees. The Pharisees who have their whole life put together, who've been doing all the right things, but their hearts are far from God. Let me just introduce, let me just reintroduce you to who God is. If you don't know much about God, know this. God is a seeking, saving, celebrating God. That's who he is. Through the parables, 
through the lips of Jesus himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And every time in one of these parables, the shepherd goes out to seek for the sheep. The, the woman goes out and finds her coin. They're seeking after it. And then they find it and they don't say, okay, you know the way back home. Now he puts him on his shoulders. He sees him from far off. He rushes to him and he brings him home. Why? To put him in the corner and say, you should never have left. Not at all. To celebrate. And then he invites his neighbors and his friends, come rejoice with me. I lost my sheep. It's found. I lost this coin. It's found. I've lost my son. He's found. And so if, if you don't know the heart of God, know this. God is a seeking, saving, celebrating God. That's who he is. And if you're here today, you're not sure why you're in church today, just know this. I truly believe it's because God's been seeking you. He's been seeking after you and, and you're here because he's drawn you here so that you would meet with him and know him, be saved by him and to share in his joy. The Lord has, has brought you here. He's, he's been pursuing you because he loves you. That's the first thing you need to know is, is who this God is. Second thing you need to know is what Jesus' mission really is about. There's two lost sons, right? The older son thinks the object of faith is to make bad people good people. But the object of Jesus' mission is to make people who are lost found. And what does it mean to be lost is to be perishing. And what does it mean to be found is to be alive. So Jesus came to make dead people alive people. Make dead people alive. I mean, you can have a dead faith and go to church every single weekend. But he's here to make dead people alive people. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. And the third thing is when we are motivated by the Father's love, because like, there is a sense of like, well, then where do we get the, the, the motivation to do what's right? Does it not matter what's right? Oh, it matters what's right. Does it matter to do what's right? Oh, it most certainly matters to do what's right. And so when we understand the Father's love, we're motivated by the Father's love, we do what is right from a different place. We do what is right because we delight in him. It's an overflow of, my goodness, it is so wonderful to be with the Father. It's like real life, abundant life here. And the ways of the Father, and I thought those were like restricting, they're the most freeing. And so I delight to do the right thing because I know the love of the Father, the ways of the Father brings life. So maybe you have older brother syndrome where you've been in church every single weekend, but it's because it's a duty. You do good, so you get good. And then you see yourself as superior to all the people around you. The worst kind of being lost is not knowing you're lost. And I've been praying for you. I've been praying if that is you, that the Lord would give you eyes to see and conviction of heart to know that Jesus Christ died for you too. And in repentance of Lord, I'm sorry that I've been trying to do all the right things so that you owe me. Doing all the right things so that I could earn this. I repent of that. I repent of the motivation of doing the right thing.
And would you save me too? A wretch like me. Because here's the thing, Calvary. I love being on staff here. I love it. And I love being at this church in this area. We live just on the, on the cusp of Boulder County. I grew up in Boulder. I just have a love for this, for this city. And, we, and I love that we get to be on Boulder and Weld County. And we live in a community that is really lost. Yeah? Like they can't even figure out their own identity. And, and that doesn't mean that I make fun of them. My heart hurts for them. It's like Jesus seeing the people on, this, on the shores. He says, I have a compassion for them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? He begins to teach them. This is the way to life. And so we live in a community that is seriously lost. And there are a lot of people that are trying to leave this community because they're so upset with it. It ain't me. And that's not us. We get to be the closest church to lost people. It's awesome. Now here's the problem. Is when you're a Bible teaching church like Calvary, who is unwavering on their convictions of biblical truth, you can breed older brothers. And though we're closest to those being lost, we, want, we don't want our doors closed to them because our church is filled with a bunch of Pharisees. And I don't want to be that. And I know you don't want to be that. And so we spend time thinking about these things that are hard, that are kind of like punches in the face sometimes, because we, what we want to be is a church that is the most gracious welcoming, celebrating church of sinners that return to the Lord. And I know it's messy. I just want in. And at the same time, we want to be unwavering on our convictions. This is what Jesus means when he is filled with what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. And so it's not that the rules don't matter. Oh, they matter. Oh, they matter. But we're not the older brothers, the Pharisees that grumble at the sinners around us. May they flock to Jesus and find life. Now, I remember in the very beginning, I asked you, what was the thing that you lost? What was the most significant thing you lost? And maybe it was, maybe it was a pet, maybe it was a possession. And you remember that feeling of wanting to find it? Have you ever had that feeling towards a human being that's lost? I just wanna be a church that's more passionate about seeking and finding lost human beings, lost people, than we are about finding lost pets and phones and possessions. And those are good things to find. But how much greater is it to find sons and daughters of God? And so with that in your mind, what are we doing this year? And we, we are in partnership with God to seek and save and to celebrate when lost sons and daughters outside the church and inside the church find their savior, Jesus Christ, for the first time. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you came to us on a rescue mission. We know that no one seeks God, but that you sought us. And so, Father, I just pray for any prodigal sons and daughters in this room that have returned. May they know that you see them, that you have compassion on them, that you embrace them and you welcome them home. And Father, I pray for any older brothers or older daughters, older sisters, whose faith is a duty to them. Father, would you give them delight? I pray for them who are, are doing good to get good from you. May, may you reveal yourself as the object of their faith, the good reward of their faith is to know you. And Father, may we never forget the grace that each one of us has received so that we would never have a superiority complex over another. And so Lord, just do the work that only you can do in each one of us. There's, there's a lot of us in this room. Would you speak to each one of us and and do the work that we need to be done today. And then would you collectively do a work as a community of believers, that we would be a church that partners with you to seek and save and celebrate the returning wayward lost. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.